Okay, uh, first of all, big shkayach to Yanki Sad for sponsoring this morning. It was a last minute uh, inspiration on Shabbos, so shkayach to that, and it should be a close for him, for the little baby Rivka and uh, the old kilo of Kalah Yisrael. All right, so you know, one of the, personally, I feel like one of the milas of learning, of learning Navi, like in depth and in a little pianistic way, is that we sort of, um, uh, we sort of have the opportunity to jolt ourselves out of um, what we usually associate, um, like the, sort of the, 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 the vision of what Yiddishkeit looks like in exile, you know? And very often how we picture tzaddikim and how we picture Kal Yisrael is very much uh, colored by the fact that we've been in Gullahs for, for like 2,000 years. And so, uh, and when we imagine, we imagine what a tzaddik looks like, it's, it's, paint, it's colored by that. But when you learn Navi and you see what uh, what Kal Yisrael really looks like, you know the way, it's, the way it should be, the Beis and an army and the government, you know it's uh, it changes it changes things, you know, and that's something that without getting into politics, obviously, but for the past uh, I don't know hundred years, a little bit more, the Jewish people has been struggling with this dynamic of like trying to make sense of not make sense is maybe the wrong word, but like how to how to process the idea of Klal Yisrael, what, what, what should we look like on a national stage, like when we're not just, you know, shtetlach here and there, but we're actually a, a unified people, like what that looks like. Anyway, it's not so posh. So, so tonight, uh, this morning, we're going to learn a little bit of uh, a particular topic regarding warfare in the army, which I think might uh, <clears throat> like help that process a little bit of that, what Kalisro really is supposed to look like on a national stage. Anyway, so again, officially what we're up to is the, fifth, is the uh, sixth parak of Sefer Yeshua, which is when Kalisro actually begins its assault on the city of Yericho and conquering Eretz Yisrael. But as I said last week, I think it's a good opportunity to start learning, just to use this as a springboard to learn about uh, warfare, the military, what that should look like according to Tyra, and in halacha, what that looks like. So, last week we talked about <coughs> the concept of the Jewish army, b'chlal, what that means. And so, today, we'll expand on that a little bit, go further. Okay, last week, I mentioned, it, was not, it wasn't necessarily the focus of last week, but I just did mention that in halacha, there are two different types of, of wars that the Jewish people can be uh, engaged in. There's what's called mochemes mitzvah, and Mulchemes Harishos, right? So Mulchemes Mitzvah, as the name indicates, it's a war that you're obligated to fight. So that's, that includes self-defense, uh, that includes conquering Eretz Yisrael, it includes fighting against Amalek, that's basically Mulchemes Mitzvah. And then you have Mulchemes Harishos, voluntary war. Voluntary war is that it's not a matter of uh, securing the territory of Eretz Yisrael, it's not a matter of of defending ourselves from attack or anything like that. It's just Klai Yisrael, for whatever reason, economically uh, needs to expand territory. We need to conquer more territory for economical purposes. And th- that's, by the way, one, the classic example of Mokhemes HaRashos is actually a, it's a, it's a Gemara that I, that I quoted last week. It's a Gemara Brachas and a Gemara in Sanhedrin where the Gemara gives an example of the Chachamim coming to David HaMelech and telling him that, economically speaking, the Jewish people need to expand Territory and it's going to help uh, economically. Uh, is that Mulchemes Mitzvah? It's not a Mulchemes Mitzvah, it's not the Kuch Nefesh, but it's something necessary economically. So Dovinach says, fine, let's figure out if it's really true and how to go about do it, and then we'll be able to do it. That's what's called the Mulchemes Rishos. Okay, so what we're going to learn a little bit today is about that side of the coin, Mulchemes Rishos, voluntary war. 
Because if we think about it, it's, it's really an amazing thing because um, warfare, by its, by its very nature, is obviously something that's dangerous, right? I mean, you're putting, you're putting the nation at risk, obviously going to war, and uh, certainly you're putting individual soldiers at risk. So when you're dealing with Olochemes Mitzvah, where the Torah says you have to go to war, okay, okay, here, fine, that means the Torah is telling you that you have to do it. So Hashem tells you there's a mitzvah, you have to put yourself in danger, you have to put the Jewish people in danger. Okay, and if Hashem told us to do it, most likely we can be confident that He'll give us the siyat d'shmaya that will be successful. But once you're talking about a mechemes rishos, a voluntary war, so if you take religion out of it, okay, I get it, there's a voluntary war, I, I, I get the cause of it, but... But the question that we're going to be dealing with is that how are you allegedly out to do such a thing? I mean, you're putting, you're putting it in a danger on a national level, individual soldiers, for what? For economical growth? Even if it's not economic, just, just for the sake of, uh, of uh, just expansion. Let's say there's a, a spirit of, uh, you know, uh, national pride running through the Jewish people and they want to, you know, from coast to coast, you know, they want to expand territory. That's also technically Milchemes Rishos, they're allowed to do that, there's nothing wrong, and that's enough of a reason to put Jewish people into danger. And it's more than that. Let's take a look at some of the Marmachimists regarding the halachas of Milchemes Rishos, and we'll see that there's got to be something more than just, it's voluntary. Take a look at Marmachim number one, okay, this is a Rambam in Hilchas Malachim, the laws of kings, Perak Vav, Halacha Yud Gimel. Now, this is a halacha that the Rambam is quoting, this is based on a Mishnah and a Gemara in Masechus Erevin. Okay, so we're not going to go through the Gemara in Erevin, but this is the bottom line that the, the Rambam, you know, takes from the Gemara. Says the Rambam like this: There are four things that Chazal exempted us from having to keep for halachas, for halachas that usually a Jew is obligated to keep to obey. For these four halachas, we were exempted from if you're a soldier in uh, in, uh, in the in the army. In the, in the camp, obviously there's a, there's a war that's going on. If you're a soldier involved in, the, in that battle, whatever it is, these four halachas you don't have to worry about. What are they? Number one, oichlem ha-demai. Demai is officially mutter. What is demai? So we know the halach is a person has uh, produce in Eretz Yisrael, you have to take off trumas and maestras, you have to tithe it and so on. The halach is that uh, if let's say you have produce that you buy from a farmer, and this farmer is not particularly so religious, he's not particularly so educated, and you ask him, was it taken, was maestras, was it taken care of? And he says, yeah, it's, it's totally kosher. Technically speaking, he's a Jew. Well, you, you don't know that he's lying. You don't know that he's trying to trick you, so you can technically believe him. Chazal made a midrabanan, a decree, an enactment, that if you buy produce from an Amoretz, someone that uh, is not necessarily so learned, even if he says it's taken care of, it's kosher, you can't trust it, you have to take off mice yourself. That category, that's called demai. The word demai comes from a combination of two words, da mai, what is this? Like you're not really sure whether it's been tithed or not, because the person says it is, but you can't necessarily know for sure that you could trust him. So that's something that you have to take off Maeser first. Says the Rambam, that does not apply for a soldier in battle. Obviously when you're mom's fighting, you know, but in the, in the army base, Demai is completely mutter, that this Midrabonan Chumra does not apply to a soldier. That's number one. Number two, they don't have to wash their hands for bread. Also, exempted from that, they don't have to be matriach themselves to look for water. They could just eat bread straight. That's exemption number two. Exemption number three. If the army, if the soldiers need to make a fire to warm themselves or to, for the equipment, whatever the case may be, any wood they find, even if it's private property, they have the right to take it. Even if they see 
they go onto a farm or whatever the case may be, and they see a, a stockpile of wood that clearly the owner of the property gathered together and dried for his own purposes. If the soldiers want it and they need it, they can take it. In the Jewish army camp, you don't have to worry about, uh, about that at all. That's exemption number three. Exemption number, number four. Now, when it comes to Shabbos, so the Jewish people, uh, soldiers are in the camp. They're open, open field. So you have to make an Erev, right? You need to carry. They're exempted from making an Erev. They don't have to worry about making an Erev. As long as it's a Rishos HaYachid. On a biblical level, where there's no issue on a biblical level to carry, the rabbinic concept of having to make an Erev that they're exempted from. That's what the Rambam writes. El Metaltalin Me'oyel oil, they could carry from one tent to another, Mesukah Lesukah, from one hut to another. However, they're, they're you know, living in the, in the army base, whatever the case may be. They're exempted from an Erev. As long as, on a biblical level, the thing is the camp is surrounded by a wall that's ten tefachim high, so on a deraisa level, it's rishas yachid. So biblically, they can carry. The fact that Chachamim came and said that even on a uh, private domain, rishas yachid, if there's so many people living there, you still have to make an Erev. So when it comes to a Jewish army base, they're exempted from that. Now, just a little background, where these hetem are coming from. Yeah. Why doesn't he call Natil Sudaim? I don't know, so the truth is, I'm not sure. I, have to, I would have to look back in the Gemara and Erevin to see how the Gemara... I think that's the, that's the Nusach of the Gemara too. So I'm not sure why, but uh, that's the Nusach that he says. The, the, uh, but it happens to be just uh, it's an interesting point. The Gemara, it's a little bit backwards how we think, but the Gemara in fact says that that Heter, that soldiers have, they don't have to wash their hands uh, for bread, that's only Mayim Rishayinim. It's only to wash for bread. Mayim Achrayinim, they still have to wash. Which is funny, because we think Mayim Achrayinim is, you know, even... But in those days, Mayim Achrayinim was very serious, because they were afraid, they were afraid of, of salt and uh, residue. Uh, it was, it could be, they, they saw it as dangerous. Exactly. So that's why Mayim Achrayinim, they were even more mach. A little bit of a background. These, these four exemptions, again, Demai is mutter. Uh, they don't have to wash for bread. They don't have to worry about uh, taking wood. You know, it's, it's understood that they can take all the wood that they need. And number four is they don't have to make any Erevin. The Gemara says that, this, that a lot of those exemptions were actually established by Yeshua Benun. For example, the, um, the, uh, the wood one, the fact that they could take any wood that they want, even with private property. The Gemara says that when Yeshua Benun brought us into Eretz Yisrael, the, he, they, they, it, was, it was with certain conditions. And he says, when he led us in Tarot Yisrael, one of the conditions that was already established was is that if Jewish soldiers need wood for their benefit, even as private property, like everyone's on the same page, uh, they could take it. These are the four exemptions. Now, that's what the Rambam says, that's the halacha. Now, in Marmokka number two, the Rambam, in his commentary to Mishnayis in Erevin, which is where these concepts are coming from in Erevin, so the Rambam over there explains the, the logic of it. Says the Rambam like this, when we're talking about the Jewish camp and soldiers, Khan that are mentioned over here, that they're exempted from these four things, says the Rambam, this is not just when they're going to war because they have to, it's Mochemes Mitzvah. This is even a voluntary war, the and certainly for Mochemes Mitzvah. And says the Rambam, and why are we being lenient on them? Because they're involved in a very chash of a thing, which is conquering enemy territory, conquering the, the lands of, uh, of the nations of the world for the Jewish people. In other words, says the Rambam, that this halal, the reason why we are makel with these four things is because they're involved in a very chash of a pursuit. They're, they're, they're involved in, in a war. And even though, and, and says the Rambam, and this is true not only for Melchemist Mitzvah, but even Melchemist Rishos. 
Even Mocha Mesorishas. So, first of all, so what we're seeing is like this, is that this idea of Mocha Mesorishas, voluntary war, even though, you, obviously, it's voluntary in terms of they didn't have to engage in that battle. They didn't have to get involved in that, uh, in that conflict. But what we're doing, what we see from this halach is that the conflict itself, once it's been decided to get involved in, because of, uh, you know, whether it be economical uh, growth, it's considered to be a chashav thing. So chashav that Chazal are just being, are exempting the soldiers from these four things because of the unbelievable uh, involvement that they that they're undertook, which is this war. Now, by the way, it's interesting. Um, Marmaka number three is a little bit just sort of in parentheses. I just think it's an interesting historical thing. The, uh, we know the Gemara tells us that the, takan, the original takan of, of washing your hand for, for bread and, um, and, uh, and the takan of Erevin came from Shlom HaMelech. Shlom HaMelech was the one to make those takanas. So in Marmaka number three, there's a smog, one of the Rishayim, Sefer Mitzvah Skedarlis, in the beginning of Hilchas Erevin, he quotes a tshuva from Rav Haigain, going back to the Gainim. And Rav Haigain was asked an interesting question. He says, why, why did it take till Shlomo to come up with these ideas of washing your hand for bread and uh, the concept of Erevin? Okay, it's an interesting question. I don't know if I would have asked it myself. Okay, Shlomo thought of it. I don't know. That was the question that Rav Haigain was asked. Why did it take so long? And, and the answer he gives is very interesting. He says, Veheshev Rav Haigain achas. Rav Haigain answered in one of his tshuvas the following thing. The reason why those takanas were not made at all until Shlom HaMelech came, because all the years until Shlom HaMelech, there was a lot of warfare going on to settle the land, to you know, conquer all the territory needed. That's why his name is Shlomo, Shalom. That in his day, that's when there was finally peace. They were able to rest from conflict. And the Gemara tells us in Erevin, we just saw, that and there, there are four things that were exempted from in battle. And you could take the wood, as we said, and you don't have to wash for bread. And demai is mutter, right? The unknown uh, tithed uh, fruit, vegetables. You don't have to do Erevin. So it says Rav Haigain, it's silly for Chazal to enact washing your hands for bread and Erevin if, if you're dealing with a time period where there's so much warfare that these takanas won't be uh, needed to be kept for the most part. So therefore, they, they knew that there was a good idea of washing hands for bread and they knew the idea of Erevin, but they pushed off making it an enactment until it was something that we could be confident that everyone's going to be able to keep. You know, going forward. So they waited until Shlomo Melch, where now finally there's a time of peace, and then they could uh, they could be able to, to kick it in. So yeah. These are four peturim in the machna. In the machna. I assume that the peturim are vast when they're out in the actual battle. So it's like there's a Vilna Gaon in his commentary to Shulchan Aruch where he talks about exactly when they're exempted. When they're literally fighting. I, I, you know, that's already like, you know, the last thing on the guy's mind is going to be demai, you know, that's for sure. So we're definitely talking about the exemption of, of when there's a, the, there's a, a pause or something. Like it, 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 they're in a state of battle, but not literally that very moment. Mm-hmm. The Vilna Gain does say, though, that if, let's say, the army is, is traveling, let's say troops are just traveling, so traveling, that's already not engaging or not in a situation where engagement is, is, is going, likely to happen. So then he says these, these exemptions would not apply. But the Vilna Gaon does try to work that out. But again, what we do see is, is that even if you're dealing with a Mulchemes or a Shos, a voluntary war, which means that you didn't have to get involved with it, but we are seeing from this is that it's considered to be a Chash of a thing. It's not just 
economical growth, and Hashem says, okay, if you want to, you can. There, there, it's considered to be, uh, there's something inherently valuable in this, almost mitzvah, mitzvahdik, it's so much so that Chazal are just giving you leniencies on real halachas because you're involved in such a chashvah thing. More than that, another example of where we see a mechemes rishos, but it's not really so rishos, is the uh, next halacha. In Marmokka number four, the Rambam in, Se- in Sefer Mitzvahs, in Loisa say Nun Ches. Okay, so he lists off the 613, and in the prohibition number 58, he writes the following thing, and it's based on a Pasuk in Parashas Kiseitze. It says that when you, uh, when you go out to battle, so it says, it's actually, the, the context of it is uh, an idea that's called the Meshulach Melchama. You're Meshulach Melchama. That you have, you have the Kohen Gadol, but then you have another Kohen that's also anointed, and his, his official position is that he's the Kohen Gadol, he's the Kohen that's Meshulach Melchama. He's anointed for battle. Before every war, every battle, you would have this Meshulach Melchama go out, and he would make a whole, uh, he would read a whole parsha, Shema Yisrael. It's a whole uh, part of the uh, parsha Setsay. Shema Yisrael, that listen, Klai Yisrael, you're about to go to war, Hashem is with you, don't be afraid, Al-Terab, al don't be afraid, don't tremble. That was his, uh, his speech. And by the way, that speech was not just like rah-rah, getting the troops, uh, you know, like, go and do that. This was something unique. It had to be, it was, it was, it was, had to be the Nusach of Lashon HaKadosh. It was like a, it was a, it was a ceremony. This, this was not just um, rah-rah. This was something special was going on. And in his speech, he says, as the Pasuk says, don't be afraid. Now, the Rambam learned, we'll see in a second, that this is not just, again, a confidence boost, don't be afraid, Hashem is with you. This is a mitzvah. It is usher, it is usher, for a Jewish soldier to be afraid. So Rambam writes, take a look. Maramaka number four, Shehizi Rano, that we have been warned, it's a low sasseh, we are forbidden from being afraid of the enemy during war. And certainly not to retreat in battle. It's, it's our obligation, Liz Gaber, to strengthen ourselves. And to stand up against the opposing nation. Obviously, if you know, if if Lamaisa, the, the war is being lost and, and and retreating is the only thing left to do, then obviously you retreat. He means retreating just purely out of fear. That's something that you're not allowed to do. Anyone that runs away and retreats just out of fear, not because the generals are saying that's the only thing left to do, because he's just afraid. Far over he's, he's violating this loisasei. Huh? So they would, yeah, because, I mean, once you have, listen, it is true that once you have one, a few people retreating, it demoralizes the camp and everyone's in danger. The Ram himself does write that too. But we do have this idea, we're going to figure this out though, but the Ram does say there's a prohibition of being afraid. Now let's appreciate that. This halacha of not being afraid and of being able to stand confidently against the enemy, this is not only true, as I said, for Mohammed HaMitzvah, not only for obligatory wars, this is true for Mohammed HaRishos. Now this is a funny thing, because like the, guy, the soldier will be thinking, uh, the king is making, making trouble. He wants uh, economic growth. He wants to be able to put his flag somewhere. And he's now, I'm now drafted in the army. So now I'm not allowed to be afraid because the king has decided. See, even Lachemis or Rishus, you're not allowed to be afraid. Why not? Why, Taka, can't you be afraid? So take a look at Marmokka number five. That was the Rambam in Sefer Mitzvah, where he just sort of sums up the Mitzvah very quickly. In Marmokka number five, in Hilchas Malachim, the Rambam expands uh, this idea. Listen to how the Rambam says. And again, bear in mind, this is talking about, again, not just Obligatory war, this is talking about voluntary war too. Again, the Pasuk says that one of the speeches of the Meshulach Muhammad was that anyone that's afraid and his heart is, uh, 
is uh, is nervous, he should go back home. Right? That was one of the one of the lines that he said before battle started. <clears throat> so he says like this: Kimashmai. That means simply. It means simply that anyone that's there, that's that you know, if you're afraid, then get out of here. If you have to, if you're if you're a Jewish soldier, you have to be courageous. Shein believe someone whose heart is not uh, strong enough to withstand battle, should not be there. But if you're there, if you didn't uh, back out already, if you're there, Yishan, listen to what he says. And again, like I said, this is talking about all wars, not just obligatory, but even voluntary. Yishan al mikveh Yisrael, you have to rely on the hope of the Jewish people and its salvation, the hope to Hashem, the Yeda, and you should know. And how, do you, how are you machazi yourself? Why should you trust in God? Why should you be so confident that you're going to win this battle? Because you should know that you are fighting a war over the, the singularity and the unity of God's name. That's what you're fighting about. The Yosem and realizing that, that this battle is about one thing, which is about the unity of God's name. So you put your life in your hands, okay, and you're not afraid, you're not fearful, you don't allow yourself to think, you don't allow yourself to think about your wife and your kids, says you erase their memory from your head, right now you are completely devoted, and you're putting everything in this Indian of fighting for, this, for the Yichr Hashem, for Shema Yisrael, for the singularity of God's name, you think about nothing but just the battle, then he says like this, you know, are you going to say something? Yeah. The Isser is, is just the feeling, or if you retreat? So this is something that the Mepharshim do deal with. The, 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 the Isser would seem to be, the Ram himself a little later on hints to this, we're not going to hold it against you if, you, if, you're, if you're caught up in fear. But we are not, what we can obligate you is not to act on it, in terms of retreating, right? and to do the best you can to get those thoughts out of your head. Right, so if a person, this is true, by the way, for for this mitzvah, it's true for other mitzvahs too. Let's say we have a mitzvah a little bit more practical to us, you know, right, not to allow negative thoughts, whether it be uh, uh, thoughts about taiva or thoughts about uh, apikarsis, you know, into your head. So you say, okay, you know, things things come into your head. The answer is okay, things come into your head. That's not an issue. The issue is, do you allow it to fester? You know, do you? What you should do is immediately think about something else, right? I mean, you can't, you know, listen. We all know this that you can't. Not think about something, right? You not think about that means you're thinking about it, right? So what you do is you think about something else, right? So so that's what he's saying over here. Don't think about the fear. Think like and, and this is true even uh, psychologically. This for the soldiers also. It's the, the it, it's it's about being so hyper focused in task at hand and in, in in the job itself and what they have to do. They don't have the time or the headspace to think about the repercussions of what happens if we fail. Like it's just completely focused on the job, and that's what distracts them, so to speak, from, from just the, uh, you know, the trauma of it. Huh? So the, the Isser is the fear that will come by allowing it to fest. It's like there's sort of the second thought, the second time that you think about it. That's the halacha. That's basically what it means. You know, the, the, the initial thought is a thought. It's to think it, to contemplate on it, to allow it to fester. That's basically what it means, yeah. Yeah, yeah. To be makash yourself, to lose that's what it is. That's the problem. Anyway, let's continue on. This is uh, four lines in. And if you talk, have a soldier that's fighting with all of his heart, you know, he's really devoting himself to the battle. Without fear, he's just 
again, again, it doesn't mean because he's an idiot and he doesn't mean that he's uh, suicidal. It means that he's focused on the mission and realizing how, how, um, uh, how big this is, that he's fighting not for himself, not, he's fighting for the unity of God's name and he's part of that huge uh, thing. And his intention is to be Makavish God's name by, uh, by being involved in this battle, you know, uh, healthfully. So, says Ramam, he can be guaranteed that no damage will come to him. No evil will befall him. Now, this is a chiddush. I mean, the Ramam is Allah Hasefer. The Ramam is just throwing in like a school over here, but it's interesting. He says that if a soldier Taka has this kavan and does everything in his possible in his, in his effort not to have any fear and just to completely focus on what really is going on, which is that he's fighting for the singularity of God's name, he's guaranteed he'll be okay. It's interesting how Yudharam puts it. Him and his children will, uh, will be zaycha forever. He'll have olam haba. Shenemri says he quotes a pasuk ki also yas Hashem ladoni that uh, this was a, this was a sentence said to David Melch that Hashem should do for my master bayis neman that David Melch should have an eternal house ki mulchames Hashem adonichem because you were fighting the wars of Hashem v'rolei simsabach and no evil should befall you v'yisenevesh adoni tzurbet zarachayim as Hashem alkech and your soul should be bound with the uh, you know the eternity of God that's what the Rambam says okay so again what we're seeing in this Rambam is very clear is that, again, let, let, let's see what we have so far. Again, we have, a, a, we have a, a prohibition of being afraid, which applies, again, not only to obligatory war, it applies to voluntary war. And so now, and that was the halacha, that's the mitzvah. And says the Rambam in Hilchus Malachim, and why should you not be afraid? Why should you not be afraid? The answer is, because you are fighting for Yichad Hashem, you're fighting for Kiddush Hashem, you're fighting for God's, God's name. That's what you should realize, and if you realize that, you attach yourself to that thing, then the fear will go away, and you'll be protected, Skavaldik, Baisnam Vistral, all the great things in the world. I understand when it comes to Muhammad's mitzvah. Yeah, I'm fighting against Amalek because Amalek is the embodiment of evil. I get it. I'm conquering Eretz Yisrael. Eretz Yisrael is a place of divine providence. Muhammad's mitzvah, that's for God's name. But Muhammad's Rishos, I'm going into battle because the Yisrael needs uh, economic growth, whatever. That's, that's Yichar Hashem. That's Kiddush Hashem. Clearly, again, what we're seeing is the same idea as we saw with the exemptions. That. There's something else going on here underneath the surface. On the, on the outside, it might look like this is just economic growth. And that's why you don't have to go to battle. But there's something else going on over here. Again, the Ram is saying that, that there's something, that battle, warfare itself, Jewish battle itself, the, the, again, the explanation, the motivation might be all sorts of things. But Jewish people going into battle automatically is defined as engaging in trying to bring out Yichra Hashem, the oneness of God's name. So that's the thing. There's a difference between, be, like you just said, having the divine mission and being the embodiment of the divine, of, of, right. of divinity itself. Right. Last week we were talking about the Rambam versus the Ramban. Who are the soldiers? Even if the, and the Rambam said the soldiers are human beings. Right. But why are they fighting is for Yichar Hashem. So it doesn't, so who they are, you know, there's a difference between who they are and what they're fighting for. But the Ram is telling us, even in the Chemis a voluntary war, what they're fighting for is Yich Hashem. So let's, let's figure this out a little bit, okay? So, I'll tell you the truth, there's a number of ways to go about explaining this, why war, like the nature of war, and, and why, and how to sort of see it as something holy. You know, other, other religions, right, see war, this is a holy war, right? I mean, we have Mulchemes, Mitzvah also, 
But we're seeing over the years that even Mohammed's Rishos is a holy war, right? It's also about Yichel Hashem. How do we figure that out? So take a look at Marmokka number six, okay? We're going to see two pieces from Rav Kook. Rav Kook um, wrote, and I, and I think I mentioned this last week also, he wrote a whole essay about warfare. He wrote this during World War I, in truth. So uh, and over, it's, it's really amazing things. You're gonna, it's, it's very hard to find uh, you know, Marmokka comments about war, you know, in terms of like hashkafically. People don't talk about it. You know, like I said, we've been in Gauls for 2,000 years. Most of our farm come from a Gaulist, from Gaulist time period where war was the, you know, it's not a possibility. We're not thinking about it. We just want to get away from war, right? But uh, Rav Cook uh, was a little bit, you know, foresighted and he saw what was coming and uh, so he wrote about Jewish war. So take a look at Marmokka number six, okay? This first piece he, is about war in general. And it's an amazing observation. He says like this, Kol Ha'amin... There's a, there's a lot to unpackage here, so you know, we'll see what we can do in, in 10 minutes. But Kol Amin Mispatchem. All nations um, evolve. All nations develop. All nations grow in culture and economy. That's the way of the world, that nations develop. And every nation, the evolution, the, the, the development of every nation is uh, through natural means and natural courses of events brings out the particular quality and personality of that particular nation, right? So everything starts off as like, okay, a bunch of tribes running around trying to figure out where, you know, how to, you know, how to settle. But then with, with time and, 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 and technology, technological advancement and medical, all these things, all of a sudden, the French people's personality comes out. Now the French people, now you can see their personality. And the English and the Spanish and the Portuguese and the... You know, the South America. Everyone has their personality. Okay, now this is, by the way, this, this never was controversial. Now, like, there's uh, political movements that don't want to believe that every nation has a personality, but that's not true in Tyra. According to Tyra, every nation has a personality, and that personality becomes more apparent as the nation develops culturally, economically, sociologically. That's what happens. Says, says the Rav Kook, Hamulchamas... There's one particular, you know, it's like a chemical reaction. There's a certain, you can have a catalyst to speed things up extremely quickly in terms of bringing out in a very strong way the personality of a particular nation. So a particular nation's personality can be manifest over hundreds of years in a very slow process. And then, even then, it's like a little bit mixed with maybe other cultures. Or you could add this catalyst, and this catalyst just it, 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 it brings things out extremely fast and extremely potent, and that is war. War has a way of bringing out the inner nature of a nation in an extremely clear way of who they are, what they're about. That's what, the, that's what Rav Kook writes. Warfare deepens the individual personality and value system of a particular nation. Until where its personality is really sticking out in a time of warfare, both in terms of what they go to battle for, in terms of how they, how they deal with battle, just... Uh, we, we see this I mean, with America also, with certain wars in, our, in, in American history that, you know, th th there's a certain... Um, you know, like World War II, for example. Histo I'm not a big expert in history, but there are certain... Like, World War II was a time where American society really, um, the confidence and really who America was and what they stood for and so on, uh, it, it stuck out a lot after World War II. Things are a little bit different now, but anyway, he says, and things move from into reality, into that real uh, 
who, who the nation is in a complete way, but kol prati with all of its depth. So warfare has that. So now that's point number one. That war is not just, okay, you know, some nation, you know, nations go to war for particular purposes. War has an inherent, I guess a value to it, it has an inherent quality of really bringing out the true nature of who that people is. Who that people is. That's why Rav Cook writes elsewhere, this is again a larger discussion, that the Gemara tells us that whenever there's war, not just between the, with the Jewish people, Islam, nations of the world are, 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 are engaging in battle with each other, the Gemara says you should look forward to the feet of Mashiach. It's a time for Mashiach. And Rav Cook wrote this during World War I. He says that, he specifically is talking about the World War at the time. He said that whenever you have nations battling each other, going to war, truth is coming out. The truth of those nations are coming out. And when truth emerges, that's always a good thing. It's always a good thing. Truth is always good. And, and eventually, that truth is part of the larger truth of redemption, which Mashiach will uh, you know, blow the ceiling off of that truth. But any time there's truth coming into the world, that's already Mashiach to Ke'enyin. And warfare is a time of truth, where who that nation is and what they really are about, it comes out. Now, this is true, obviously, like psychologically. We know that on an individual level, right, a person's in a life-threatening situation, who they are, you know, they have like... A, you know, those, uh, what's the word, you, have, you know, their, their whole life can be, can be you know, uh, you know life-changing perspective from being in a life-threatening situation. That's true for individual, and it's true on a national stage too. Right, things like that could also bring out that uh, people feel threatened, so what life is and who they are about really comes out. This is true, but there's, there's deeper levels where this is coming from. Really, this is coming from the Kisari and... And the Leshem, the Rebbe of Rav Kook, we're not going to get into that, but this is the idea of Rav Kook. So now, so if war is a catalyst to bring out the truth of who the nation is, that's true with the French, and it's true with the Americans, right? It's certainly true with the Jewish people. So what happens when the Jewish people go to battle? It could be about anything, but the nature of warfare is that truth emerges. And what is the truth of the Jewish people? The truth of the Jewish people is Now to explain a little bit what that means. So this is a, you know, this, this is really a large discussion in the writings of Rav Kook in general. But just to explain a little bit, you know, in the writings of Rav Kook we find that the Jewish people, like every other nation in the world, we have a national identity. You know, let, let's put it this way. In the Rise of Rav Kook, we find that the Jewish people, as a people, have two sides to us. We have a national body, and we have a national soul. Now, what does it mean, a national soul? So the soul of the, soul of the Jewish people, that's something that we are familiar with during the times of Gaulus. The soul of the Jewish people means the Ruchnias, it means Yiddishkeit, it means Torah, it means mitzvahs. That's the soul of the Jewish people. But the Jewish people also have a body and need to have a body. The body of the Jewish people is everything that's associated with, with the Jewish people, physical, physical health, economical health, economical development. And Rav Kook writes in many places in, you know, in his writings that that dynamic of body and soul is true on a national level, just as it's true as an individual person. See, on an individual level, we have a soul. Yeah, you have a soul. Now, the soul is amazing. The soul ultimately is, should be the driving force behind every decision we do, behind every decision we make. The question really should be is, is this good for my soul? 
Is it not good for my soul? The ultimate purpose of everything we do is for the soul. But at the end of the day, the soul needs a body. Without a body, then the soul isn't able to really express itself in great detail. It's not able to bring out all of its, all of its power. You know, the example you can give, I've given this before, if let's say you have a kid that's very musically gifted, he's like a Stigl Mozart, he's a little Mozart. So he needs an environment, he needs a body for that soul. You know, he has like a musical talent, he has a musical soul, but he needs a body to allow that soul to express itself properly. So he has to be put in the proper classes, he has to be given the proper tutors, he has to be given the proper instruments. If he's given the proper body for that soul, then then, then unbelievable, then that soul will be able to express itself in great detail and great nuance and great power, and you'll have a Mozart. If he doesn't have the body around him, if he doesn't have the infrastructure in place to allow the soul to express itself properly, then then he's not going to be a Mozart. Then he might be able to sort of like, you know, uh, if he doesn't have instruments and all he has is the desk in school, so maybe he'll like become like a good drummer on the desk, but he's not making any, you know, whatever they call it, Mozart ballads. I don't know. <laughs> he's not coming up with any genius, you know, compositions of Mozart. It's not because he doesn't have the koiches, because he doesn't have the infrastructure. He doesn't have the body. He doesn't have the body. The Jewish, just, that's, just as that's true as an, on an individual level, that you have your spiritual soul, but that soul needs a body through which it could express itself properly and healthily, Rav Cook says that's true on a national level for the Jewish people as well. The Jewish people have a national soul. And the soul of the Jewish people is a soul that's unbelievably potent and, and, and powerful in spiritual energy and spiritual power. But it needs a national body. And the national body that it needs is the is is the so, 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 uh, so, sociological and economical situation and environment set up in a proper way to allow that soul to express itself, and this is in, in Rav Cook's world. This is what the, the living in Eretz Yisrael means. Eretz Yisrael is the place that the Rabbanu Shlomo created to be the body for the soul of the Jewish people. And when the Jewish people live in Eretz Yisrael with a government that's in place, that's developed socially, economically, militarily, everything that other nations of the world also have, when the Jewish people have that, that is the body that's now custom-made for the soul to express itself in. And this is the challenge According to Rav Cook, this is the challenge that the body has to realize that its growth, its development is for the purposes of the soul. And the soul has to realize that it needs a body for its expression. And Rav Cook explains that very often when Klai Yisrael in the right way, with, you know, with a, with a government that's in place that recognizes its role in terms of this body-soul relationship, then there's nothing that's more healthy for Yiddishkeit. There's nothing that's more healthy for God's presence in this world than for Klai Yisrael to have economical growth and, uh, you know, and, and, and military might. All that development of the body and the growth of the body is there to express the neshama. So, uh, for example, you could have a person who's a big Talmud Chacham and he's capable of learning very great things in, in depth. But if he's not feeling well, if his body is sick, then he's not going to be able to learn. So when he's exercising, 
right? And he's working out and he's dieting. If you ask him, Rabbi, why are you dieting? Why are you exercising? So you could, uh, you know, be, you know, win the strongest man contest? That, that No, he's exercising in order to have a healthy body to allow his neshama to express itself properly. And now that his body's healthy, now his neshama can, can come out in full and he's able to learn, come up with ideas, daven with dveikas. He's able to do amazing things because his body's intact. And when he's working on his body, he's conscious of the fact that his body is there to be a body for the soul. That's what it's about. So that is the ideal of Eretz Yisrael. That's the ideal of the Jewish people too, to have a developed body, but to always be cognizant and aware of the fact that the function of that body is to allow the soul to express itself healthfully and properly and in in a powerful way that it wouldn't be able to do if it didn't have a body. Now, therefore, explains Rav Cook, and again, this is from a lot of places in his writings, so he he explains that, therefore, every time there's, there's economical growth and development on a national level, that's the body developing. But there's always this concern and there's always this this fear of losing sight of the purpose when you're involved in that economical growth, right? So the guy's working out, he's doing push-ups and sit-ups and, and so on. And of course, if you if you push him, the, the ultimate reason why he's doing this is to have a body that could be a house for the soul. That's why he's doing it. But very often we get caught up in the push-ups, you know what I'm saying? We get caught up in that and we lose sight of what the purpose of this is. This is where comes in. War, as I said from Avkuk, is a catalyst to bring out the truth in a very strong, clear, direct way, quickly. And so this is the idea. A voluntary war, which is a war which is about the development of the Jewish body, when, because it's war, it brings with it an unbelievable potential for that development of the body to be recognized for its essential purpose, which is to house the soul. And this is what Milchemes Roshos is about. Milchemes Mitzvah versus Milchemes Roshos, an obligatory war versus a, a, a voluntary war, you have to see it in the following way. An obligatory war, that's Mitzad the Neshama. That's the soul. So that's clearly, the Rabbani Shalom gives us a mitzvah of destroying Amalek, of conquering Eretz Yisrael, of self-defense. That's all Neshamadik. That's all Neshamadik. And then you have a, a concept which is called Melchemes Arishus, voluntary war. Voluntary war is about one thing, which is about developing the Jewish body. So Melchemes Mitzvah is about, is about giving expression to the Jewish soul. And Melchemes Arishus is about giving expression to the Jewish body. And because of that, the motivations and the, and the official... Um, the official uh, goals of voluntary war is the same, and it looks the same as every other nation. Economical growth, advancement culturally, you name it. Those are things that the French go to war for. So the French Republic will go to war for economical growth, and the Jewish Republic will go to war for economical growth. And on the outside, it might not seem very different. And therefore, on the outside, a Melchemes Rishus might not be defined as a Melchemes Mitzvah. It's not the same. But what we're seeing from Cook is that, no, 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 the, 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 really the, the, whole, I, the whole essence of the Jewish body and the development of the Jewish body is to then allow deeper expression of the neshama. If the Jewish people want to express in a full way, Shema Yisrael Hashem Hashem Echad, 
then they need to have a healthy Jewish body. The more the Jewish body is healthy and developed and expanded, the more the Shema Yisrael is expanded. The more the the, the more uh, worked out the national Jewish body is, the more worked out the national Jewish soul is. And that's the inherent Kedusha of Nochemes HaRashos. And again, this is why it's Tafka with war. Because again, war is that catalyst to bring out the truth. So while the guy is doing the push-ups, he might lose sight of why he's doing them. And therefore, so to the same thing. As we're expanding ourselves economically, we might lose sight of why we're doing this. But because it comes with Mulchama, with warfare, and warfare is the catalyst to bring out the truth, then the truth comes out that the reason why we're developing economically is for That's the tachlis, and that's exactly what the Raman was saying, is that when you are going into battle, even if the motivation is economical, and the motivation is national and human, no different than the French and English go to war, at least well, that's what it looks like, the Raman says but the soldiers have an obligation not to be afraid because they have to realize, and this is what warfare brings out, it brings out this inherent truth, is that they have to realize that really what they're fighting for is the national soul of the Jewish people. Because the soul, for the soul to express itself properly, it needs that body. And that's exactly that's exactly what the tachlis of, of, uh, of war is. So you have this dynamic of Melchemist Mitzvah versus Melchemist Rishos. And they, and, they, and they blend together. They, they come together. They're both about giving the Jewish people a, a fully developed system in which Shema Yisrael Hashem Elokein Hashem Echad can be can be fully expressed and fully brought out. You need the soul to be healthy, and that's with Melchemes Mitzvah, and you need the body to be healthy, that's with Melchemes Harishos. But they both ultimately are partners in this national Jewish identity with both a body and soul. And ultimately, like the Mishul Melchemes says, that every single soldier, whether they're fighting a Melchemes Mitzvah or fighting Melchemes Harishos, ultimately, it is ultimately for one thing, and warfare brings out this truth, as war always does, that the truth is, Ultimately, what Eden are fighting for is the unity of God's name, the unity of his, of his presence in this world. And in order for his name to be fully expressed through the Jewish people, we need to, be, we need to have a healthy soul and a healthy body. And that's what Melcham is about. No. Shem should help us. You should be zochah to see that time where the body and soul finally uh, you know, reemerge you know, from their dormancy and return together in a healthy union, in a healthy way.